Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Matthew 4:17. I hope you can say it by now, says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the message that he started. Jesus started preaching, and the first thing he said is, the message I have for you is to repent, to turn in a new direction, to let go of the direction that you have been going and come in my kingdom direction because my kingdom is here. This is the thing that Jesus started preaching about. This is the message that he came to announce that his way of living, that yes, you have lived in one culture for a long time. That yes, you have had one way of doing things for a long time. That yes, you receive a lot of messages about how life should be lived and what your value should be and what your priorities should be. But he has a new way for you. He has a different way. He has a kingdom culture. And we've been asking ourselves the question in every area of our life, is this In this area, am I living for the culture of the world or am I living for the culture of the kingdom? Where did that thought pattern come from? Did it come from my family of origin or did it come from heaven? Where did that value system come from? Did it come from my schooling or did it come from heaven? Where did that belief system come from? Where did that that sound in my voice come from? Where did that thought pattern come from? Did it come from where I've come from? Or did it come from heaven? And it's the same thing that Jesus came to declare to them. It's the same thing that Jesus came to proclaim to them and to begin to bring his disciples alongside of us to say, I need you to challenge the way that you've been brought up and to come into my kingdom way of thinking. And when he did it, he began to teach them through parables, through stories. He began to use these stories, and what he did is he used parables to give them something that he knew they already understood, to help them understand something they didn't understand yet. He gave them something familiar to help them see something that was still unfamiliar to them. He begins, isn't it just like God to find us right where we are? He comes to us and he says, let me find what I know will speak to you. Let me find what I know you already understand because I have something bigger. I have something higher that I want to take you into, but I'm going to come right down here. Last week, he came all the way down to wheat and to weeds to give them a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this week... He's given us the picture of a party. Tell somebody next to you, it's like a party. Okay, come on, tell somebody on the other side, it's kind of like a party. Jesus started to explain to them what the kingdom of heaven was like, and this time he gives them a story that ends with a party. 
And he says, when I want you to understand the kingdom of heaven, when I want you to understand the kingdom that I came to present to you, when I want you to understand this place that I'm taking, this place that I'm bringing, this whole new culture that I have for you, I want you to think about a party. It's a story that you've probably heard. It's the story of the prodigal son or the story of the loving father or the story of the two sons. Depends on which way you look at it, what you like to title it, but it's a story about a boy who loses himself but finds his way home. And the culmination of this story is the symbol of a party that shows us what the kingdom of God should be like. That when we come into the kingdom of God, it's kinda like a party. Jesus gives them this picture of a party, of a feast, of a celebration, because it's something that they were familiar with. It's something they could recognize. I hope for you today that you know what a party is like. I hope that you've attended a party or two in your life. I hope that you know what it feels like to be in the midst of a room that is full of celebration. There are all kinds of parties that we get to be part of. There are parties that are different sizes and parties that are different styles. There are parties with themes. Those are some of my favorite parties where you have to dress up in funny, strange costumes and everyone is part of a themed party because there is so much fun that happens at a theme party. And there are formal parties where we wear black tie and long formal gowns. There are large parties and small parties and casual parties. There are all kinds of parties. But all parties have a few essential pieces to them. There are a few things that it's nice to have at a party, but there are some things that you absolutely must have in order to have a party. You have to have a host. You cannot have a party without a host. This person is critical to the having of a party. A host is required for there to be the host is really the initiator of the party the host is the one who decides where we are having the party and when we are having the party and who is coming to the party the host is the one who supplies the majority of the refreshments for the party and determines what is going to happen at this party they set the tone for the party and they are the one who sends out the invitation and the guest list to the party they determine who should be at the party and who doesn't get to qualify for this particular part the host is essential for the party and the host has a very important responsibility at the party it is the host's responsibility to make sure that the guests at the party are having a good time it is the host's responsibility to make sure that the people who have been brought to the party have what they need at the party, are engaged in the party, are meeting other people at the party. This maybe is a piece of etiquette for you. If you have thrown a party before and then you disappear and chill in a corner crunching on your chips, that is not how a host should behave at a party. To be honest, if you are the host of the party, it is probably the least amount of fun for you because you are the one working the whole time except for those moments when you stop and you look at the joy of the guests that you have invited to your party. 
the joy for the host is not the same as the joy for the guests. The joy for the host is found in the connection, in the enjoyment, in the festivity of the guests that they have gathered together for this celebration. And the host is absolutely essential for a party. You have to have a reason for a party. There has to be, I know, see, I knew there were going to be some haters that tried to say, no, you don't. You do. Now, you can have a lot of different reasons for a party, but there must be a reason for this gathering. There are the traditional reasons that are easy for you to think of. Birthday parties, anniversary parties, specific holidays like a 4th of July party or we're getting ready to have Thanksgiving parties, but there must be a reason for the gathering. Perhaps you are gathering for a boys' night out party, but that is your reason for your gathering. Perhaps it's a celebration of college friends. This is a reason for your party. Perhaps it's just a celebration of life that we have made it through one more year, but this is the reason. You must have a reason for your gathering. Now, these reasons could be obscure. These reasons can be ridiculous. I have a friend who likes to celebrate the last nice day of the year party. It's a very specific party. You must live in a climate where you have changing, very distinct seasons to really celebrate the last nice day of the year party. It is also a very difficult party to execute because the host of this party has to be on watch and all of the guests who are coming to this party have to be on watch looking out for when is the last night. Toledo is a great spot for a last nice day of the year party. Now, you're gonna have to implement this next year because I'm afraid that you have probably already missed the last nice day of the year party for 2021. But if you are gonna celebrate in a last nice day of the year, there are a few things that you must be. You must be ready. You must be looking out for your opportunity. You have to have a group of people that are prepared and ready to drop everything to come and celebrate the life because you never quite know when it's gonna come. And you have to be able to run after and celebrate. But the reason for this somewhat ridiculous, a little bit tough to execute party is still the last nice day of the year. And you have to have guests at a party. I know that you think that you can have a party all by yourself, but you cannot. You can have fun all by yourself. You can enjoy alone time all by yourself, but for it to be a party, it must have other people there. It must have other people who have come around to celebrate this thing with you. It must have people who have gathered around your reason to celebrate with you. People who have come out to join in the joy and the festivity and the fun and the frivolity and all that is happening. There must be guests for this to be a party. And there has to be an invitation. However small, however subtle, however formal, someone, the host, has to say, hey, Come out and celebrate with me. Come and celebrate this thing with me. Come and celebrate this moment with me. I would love for you to be part of what is. There must be an invitation because how can we respond to something that we haven't had an invitation to? 
Did you know that somewhere between 85 and 95% of Americans who don't attend church regularly say that they would come out to a church service if someone would invite them? That's your neighbor, your coworker, your barista, your hair tech would come to a service with you if we would just invite them. The power of an invitation is incredible. The power of an invitation to bring somebody into something that they haven't yet experienced or they haven't got to be a part of, to bring someone into something that you are planning, the power of an invitation is incredible. The power of an invitation is what got you on your volunteer team. The power of an invitation is what brought you into the life group that you have had so much strength and support around. The power of an invitation is what brought all of us into this incredible kingdom culture that we get to be part of. You have to have an invitation. And there has to be fun for it to be a party. When Jesus lays out this picture for what it's like to be part of his kingdom, he says it's going to be like a party, and a party is a lot of fun. A party is a place where there is joy, where there is celebration, where there is a bit of nonsense, where there is a bit of playfulness, where there is a bit of connecting to the youthfulness that sometimes we try to age ourselves out of. But if you follow Jesus very long, you know that Jesus enjoyed fun. He kicked off his miracles at a party and he told us a story about what the kingdom is going to be like that ends in a party. The kingdom of God should feel like a party. When we read the story, it will tell us that you could hear this party from a long way off. This wasn't a Downton Abbey tea party. No, this was a house party that could be heard for blocks and miles away as someone was approaching. It was the kind of party that started rumbling under you before you got into it, where he could hear the sound of laughter, where he could hear the sound of music, where he could hear the sound of rejoicing from along. The kingdom of God should feel like a party that can be heard from the rooftops, that can be heard throughout our cities, that can be heard for miles and miles away, not the sound of judgment going out, not the sound of criticism going out, not the sound of doubt going out, the sound of a party, the sound of rejoicing, the sound of an invitation that says, do you want to come and party over here with us? Because it's a lot of fun to be inside the kingdom of God. The sound of the kingdom culture is a lot like a party. And so Jesus told them this story about this boy. You can find it in Luke 15. We're gonna read through it and we're gonna pull out some things here because Jesus tells us a story of how the kingdom of God is like a party, but it doesn't start off sounding very much like a party. It starts in Luke 15 and verse 11. It says, and there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Now, it's interesting here, even right off the top. So the son is the younger son, and he comes to his father. And when he comes to his father, he says, I want you to divide what's coming to me now. I want my share of the inheritance now. Now, it's interesting because this is a completely legal course of action for this son. This was a legal way of receiving your inheritance that was laid out, but it wasn't the traditional way of receiving your inheritance. What was more common would be that a son would receive his inheritance when his father passed away. So it tells us some things about the son, I think. I think it tells us that the son cared more about what his father could give him than having a relationship with his father. That he was more interested in the wealth that was coming to him through his father than he was about being close with his father. That he was more interested about the gifts that were available to him from his father than he was about being in connection, in relationship, under the the arm and the covering of his father. And it also, to me, tells us that he was very short-sighted. That he didn't have a vision, that he didn't have a picture, that he didn't have a trust for what a little bit more time could do. Think about it. His inheritance comes from the wealth of his father. And he tells him, I want you to divide the wealth that is here today and give me my portion. But this father has been very successful. This father has, um, has grown an immense amount of wealth. This father is good at what he does. So any reasonable person would, would guess that the longer this father lives, the greater this son's inheritance is going to be. But he's more concerned with getting a little bit right now than waiting for the best thing that the father has planned for him. He's a little bit more concerned than what, with what he can get quickly, with what he can get to in this moment. He's a little bit impatient rather than just waiting and finding out what a great gift the Father actually has for him. I think that this is some encouragement for anyone who has been waiting for something that has been promised to you, that God's timing is his goodness to you. His timing is his graciousness to you. His timing is his faithfulness to you. That if you feel like you have been waiting for a while, don't give up. Don't get impatient. Don't say, I want to cash out now on whatever's there. Continue to wait faithfully because his best gifts come in his timing. And it might take a little bit longer, but he's preparing something grand for you. And the son does just what we expect that he's going to do. It says, not that many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took it on a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. This boy who was raised in a wealthy house, in a wealthy family, has squandered everything that was given to him and he finds himself out 
feeding the pigs, wishing he could eat what the pigs had had to eat, and yet still not even being allowed to eat that thing. He's a boy who was raised in a place of abundance. He's a boy who was raised in a place where his father had cared for him. He's a boy who was raised under the hand and the covering of God. He didn't have the foresight to consider that potentially someday the abundance would run out. He didn't have the foresight to consider that everything that he had always had might not always be there because the father had always provided for him because in his goodness, in his graciousness, he had always had something to eat. He had always had clothes for his back. He had always had someone to come and to help him and to aid him. And whenever he had eaten all that he had before, somehow someone always found more for him. He had been raised in a place of abundance, but he didn't realize that when he walked outside of the father's covering, that when the barrel ran empty, it would be empty and not filled again. He didn't have the foresight to consider that a famine might come his way. And he finds himself at the bottom of the bottom of his barrel. It says, but then he came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. It says, then he came to himself. It's the statement of hope in the middle of the story. It's the statement that gives us an idea that something better might be coming for this boy because he came to himself. It echoes the same words that I heard in the garden when God came looking for Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Can you locate yourself? In this moment, it was the fact that the boy came to himself. He found himself once again. I don't know if you've ever lost yourself in searching for yourself, but the boy came to a moment where it says, and he found himself because he had taken something that he thought was what he wanted, and he had went out on the road that he thought would help him find himself, but instead of finding himself on that road outside of his father's house, he lost himself all the more. He lost himself in reckless living. He lost himself outside of the covering of the father. He lost himself in squandering his wealth. He lost himself in trying to find it all on his own. I don't know if you have ever been looking for yourself and lost yourself in the middle of it, looking for yourself in academia until you started taking uppers to keep you up so that you too could be an A-plus student and you lost yourself in the middle of it, taking psychotropic drugs to reach the edge of your creative limit and you lost yourself somehow in the middle of it stepping out to create a career and to create a business because this is the place where you're going to find your identity trying to find who you are and you lost yourself in the middle of it trying to build and to create a family that's not like the family that you had or the family you grew up in thinking that maybe you'll find yourself but you lost yourself in the midst of it I don't know what you have been doing to try and find yourself on your own to try and find yourself out of your own hand but there is hope for you because when you lose yourself in trying to find yourself by yourself there is still the Holy Spirit who comes and says when you find yourself at the bottom of a pig pen wishing you could eat what the pigs get to eat if you can come to yourself 
when he came to himself, the son came to himself and he said, even my father's hired servants have more than enough bread while I perish here. While I perish here. He knew enough about the father even though he had wandered so far, even though he was so distant from the father he had once known, even though he felt so separated, he knew enough of the character of the father to know that he was a, care, a, a father who had provided even for his servants. And so he said, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, he prepares his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Come on. And he felt compassion. I hope you've noticed as we've been going through these parables how often the person who is representing God in the story feels compassion. He felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the robe, the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. The father hears what he says, but he moves right on past it. He says, we don't need to address what was. I can see by the fact that you've returned, that you're ready to come back. And the father gives him a robe and a ring and shoes. He immediately embraces him and he tells his servants, go and bring to him a robe. Go and bring to him a ring. Go and bring to him shoes. What do these things mean? He brings him a robe because we can see and we know the son has been living in filth. He has been living all the way at the bottom of society, at the bottom of himself. But immediately when he returns, the first thing the father does is he wants to get him a best robe and cover him in it. It is a picture for us of the righteousness that is ours in Christ Jesus that immediately upon our return, the father covers us in his righteousness and says, you no longer have to look like the filth you've come out of. You no longer have to look like like everything you smell like. You no longer have to look and to be seen by everything you've been through. Let me cover you with my robe. Let me cover you with my best. When people look at you, they're not gonna see the filth that you walked through. They're gonna see the goodness, the graciousness, the loving compassion of the God who covers you. As soon as he came back to the Father, covering was his again. Came running back and the Father covered him with a robe, and he gave him a ring. At the time, this ring would have signified two things. Rings would have been given to people with whom you had deep affection. It's a sign to the son that he is still deeply loved by the father, that he is still deeply cared for by the father, that the affection 
affection that the father has for him still runs deep. It is a sign to him that he is worth precious gems and precious metals that the father takes his most precious possessions and he gives it to the son and this ring was also a signet of authority that the son had the right to speak on the father's behalf. When you come home to the father, he covers you in his righteousness and he gives you his ring as a reminder of his love for you and as a reminder that you have authority to speak on his behalf. In the kingdom, we have the authority to speak God's will into existence, to speak heaven's culture into reality. You are deeply loved and you have the authority granted to you by God in Christ Jesus. And then he gives him shoes. The shoes are a picture of, of sonship. They're a picture that he's not just restoring him to the place of a servant, that he's not just restoring him to the place of a hired hand in his house. He is restoring him to the place of sonship. At the time, uh, servants and slaves would go barefoot, but sons and fathers wore shoes. So when he comes and he says, go and get him some sandals, go and get him some shoes from the house, he's bringing him back into a place where he says, I heard you say that you only see yourself as worthy as being a servant in my house, but I want to remind you that you are still a son. When you return to the house, you are a son and a daughter in this house, and it speaks to the journey that he has with the father. The son comes running back and the father restores him. He covers him with righteousness. He gives him affection, authority, and sonship as he brings him back. And then he prepares the party because he said, and put the shoes on his feet, verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate he gives them an invitation to this party and he gives them the reason for the party someone was lost and now they have returned and we are going to celebrate about it but now his older brother, his son, the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He heard a party going on. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. I think who you ask when you don't understand says a lot about where you find authority. It says a lot about where you find relationship. It says a lot about what you value and what you prioritize in life. It's interesting to me that he called one of the servants to ask them what was going on. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And the brother's gonna do something interesting here. He's gonna make the next bit about himself instead of about his brother who was lost and has returned. He says, 
it says, but he was angry and he refused to go in and his father came out and entreated him because it's the role of the host to bring everyone into the party. And he answered the father and he said, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed you or your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's been holding on to this one for a while. But when this son of yours, mm, that's some distancing language, isn't it? When this son of yours, your brother? Oh, okay. Who has devoured your property with prostitutes. I didn't hear anything about prostitutes, but he knows something. You killed the fatted calf for him. And said to him, son, you are always, and so he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. When our response doesn't match what is fitting for a scenario, it often points to an unhealed wound on the inside of us. The, the brother, the older brother had an unhealed wound that he was hiding in his working, that he was hiding in his serving, that he was hiding under his guise of faithfulness, but it's pretty clear that he's been holding on to this one because he had it locked and loaded and ready to fire as soon as his father. How long have I served you? How long have I been faithful? How long have I been around? And I can't even get a goat for a party with me and my friend. He's been holding on to this bitterness for a little bit of time because his response is not fitting to the scenario. It's a good indicator in your life when your response is not fitting to what the moment requires that there is an unhealed wound somewhere in your life, that there is something that you've been holding on to that you haven't brought all the way to the feet of Jesus yet. His father says to him, it was fitting that we would celebrate. It was fitting that we would rejoice. It was fitting that we would throw a party. Your brother was lost, and now he has been found. Who is coming back? Who was lost and is found that is going to hit your unhealed wound? Who is your response not going to be fitting at their return? Who is your response not going to be fitting when you hear that Jesus has called them also, I have to think about the disciples. If you read through the disciples and all of the different types of people that Jesus called unto himself, you have to see that there are those among the 12 that didn't think it was fitting for Jesus to call someone that was on a different side of an issue than they were. But Jesus said it was fitting that we should celebrate when every single one returns. It's fitting that my kingdom should feel like a party. It's fitting that no matter who comes home, we should celebrate what is happening. It's fitting that we should be found rejoicing. It's fitting that this place should feel like coming home to a welcome home party every single week. It's fitting that my house should be heard in the streets. It's fitting that the sound of rejoicing should be known among my people. It's fitting for us to celebrate because the kingdom is like a party. 
And he entreats the son. He gives him an invitation to come in to what was happening. He invites the son to be part of this party, to be part of this moment, because he says the kingdom is kind of like this party. You remember my party about the last nice day of the year? And there were some things that we had to do to make that party happen. You had to be on the lookout. You had to be prepared at any moment. You had to be ready to respond. You had to be ready to answer an invitation. You had to be willing to be a little bit inconvenienced by whenever this party just might pop up so that you could join in the celebration. The kingdom of heaven is kind of like a party. Today is somebody's last day of losing themselves. Today is somebody's first day of coming to themselves. Today is the day that someone comes home. Today is the day that someone realizes just what God has done for them. Today is the day. Every day the people of God should be ready should be waiting, should be living in great expectation, should be looking out to see. Like the father, he was looking to see. Is it the last nice day of the year today? Is it the last day that you've lost yourself today? I'm just waiting to see if this is the day because the day that someone responds is the day that we have to be ready to be a little bit inconvenienced for ourselves to respond to the party, to respond to the celebration, to respond to the moment that the kingdom of heaven is like a party. And there should be the sound of rejoicing because the truth is, There's a little bit of both of the sons in all of us. We've all found ourselves in each of those slots at one time in life, or we will find ourselves at one of those spots at some time in life. The truth is we've all been there a little bit at some point. So if you're identifying with the first son today and you've lost yourself a little bit, you've lost who God designed you to be, you've lost your way from the home, from the family of God. If you find yourself distant from the Father, outside of his covering, outside of his provision, outside of the path and the plan that he has for you, I want you to hear so clearly that there is an open path back to the Father for you. Jesus came to clear the way. The path to the Father is clear. And part of what we do here as a church family is we remove barriers that would inhibit people from getting back home to the Father. We want to make it easy for you to say yes to Jesus. We want to make it easy for you to experience the love of the Father. We want to make it easy for you to get back to his embrace and be covered with the robe and the ring and the shoes that he has for you. Just come on home. And if you identify a little bit with the older brother, I gave him a hard time earlier, but the truth is there's a lot to be admired about the older brother. There's a lot to be commended about the older brother. He was consistent and he was faithful and he continued in the work that needed to be done and he kept showing up every day. And the truth is he probably had to carry a little bit of an extra load because his brother went out having a heyday and so he had to take double shifts out in the field to make sure that everything got taken care of. I understand why he got 
a little bit bitter. But I don't want you to get bitter like this brother. I want you to stay close to the Father. Whatever the Father is doing, that's the response we want to have. Whatever the Father is doing, that's the place we want to be found in. Wherever the Father is, that's the way we want to respond to those. So whether you're the son coming home, get close to the Father. Or if you're the son who's been working in the field, get close to the Father. The Father's response is compassion. The Father's response is celebration. The Father's response is rejoicing. The Father says, when you come home into my house, it's kind of like a party. So whether you need to let go of some bitterness today or whether you need to come home to the Father, I just want to take a moment to pray for us today that we would always be in the midst of the party, that we would always find ourselves close to the Father. Because the kingdom is like a party. Father God, we thank you that you are the gracious Father. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are merciful. We thank you for your incredible compassion to each of us. God, help us to see you as the Father waiting with open arms. Help us to respond like you as brothers and sisters looking, anticipating, ready with open arms. And God, let this house, let our reflection of the kingdom feel like a party. Let the sound of rejoicing be heard throughout our city, echoing God, echoing in every street, echoing in every home, echoing in every corner, the sound of celebration that those who were lost are now found. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.